Judges chapter 6. We're going to get there in just a minute. I want to just share an interesting story. Um, I have a few animals, if you did not know that. Um, we're on like 30 plus, I think, at this point. Um, but I've been, I talked to Pastor about it probably about six months ago. I've been praying about and wanting to put some kind of like a big fish tank in the elementary hallway. You ever been in like a doctor's office or the dentist office or someplace and just watched kids like glued to some gigantic fish tank? Well, those are expensive, like thousands and thousands of dollars expensive for the size I wanted. And about three weeks ago, almost a month ago, uh, my trainer, Cyrus, sent me a Facebook message. Hey, check this out. Some guy in West Hartford was giving away a six-foot-long fish tank with about $2,000 worth of equipment. The only caveat is it came with a turtle. Well, I'm cool with turtles. I already have a couple of those. Well, Brother Rob and I went and picked that up yesterday and this uh, couple, they're a little younger than I am, a couple young kids. Their one big question was, once you get this all set up, are we allowed to come visit? Y you know what? We have stuff every single weekend. I would love for you guys to come visit. And Brother Rob jumped in. Yeah, the kids would love it. It'd be great. I got to invite somebody to the church with a turtle yesterday. So you need to get some snakes and turtles. And okay, I'm just kidding. But it if God can use a donkey to talk to a prophet, he can use a turtle to bring somebody to church. So I thought that was pretty cool. I'm pretty sure none of you can soul win the same way I can, all right? Uh, Judges chapter 6. I just love the fact that God allows stupid little things that we enjoy to open up doors. You know, I just think that's awesome. Judges chapter 6. We're going to backtrack just a couple verses. This is right where we ended last week. And we need to kind of go there before we move forward. Judges chapter 6, look at verse 14 with me. And the Lord looked upon him and said, go in this thy might. And that's kind of where we ended our focus last week. God, the angel of the Lord, which again is a, a Christophany or Theophany. This is Jesus Christ himself, because the Bible gives us the title, capital L-O-R-D, meaning this is Jehovah God. Tells, calls him not only a mighty man of valor, but then tells him to go do this in, thy, in this thy might. Now shalt save Israel from the hand of the Midianites. Have not I sent thee? And he, being Gideon, said unto him, O my Lord, wherewith shall I save Israel? Behold, my family is poor in Manasseh, and I am the least in my father's house. And He's being slightly self-deprecating here, but he's also just being honest. He's like, my family's poor. We've got nothing. And if you look at the history of all of the tribes of Israel, Manasseh is not known for being like a real famous one. Judah is. Judah's where the line of kings came from. That's David. And uh, Jesus himself is the lion of the tribe of Judah. We've got Judah's kind of like the big guy in most of Israel's history. So he's like, Dude, I'm from Manasseh, my, and, and I'm like the lowest level of the whole thing. Because, in, again, in their society, it all went by birth marker, giving us the idea that Gideon's the youngest of his father's sons. Are we okay? He's actually stating that. I am the least in my father's house. I've got nothing to offer you here. How in the world am I, me, how am I going to be the one that saves Israel? Do you know where I'm at on all this? Look at what God tells him in verse 16. And the Lord, again, that's capital L-O-R-D, Jehovah God said unto him, surely I will be with thee. If you haven't marked this part yet, please underline that little section of that verse. So far, every judge we have seen, God has promised he would be with them. Every single one. Surely I will be with thee and thou shalt smite the Midianites as one man. And we talked about his might a little bit last week. And I wanna kind of go, 
with that same vein before we move forward here. God doesn't care if you're weak or if you're strong, physically or spiritually. Because according to 2 Corinthians 12, 9, he said unto me, my grace is sufficient for thee, for my strength is made perfect in weakness. God's got the ability to do whatever he wants. He's got the ability to use a 12-year-old red ear slider turtle to bring a family to church. He's got the ability to do whatever he wants with whatever tool he wants at whatever time he wants. All it boils down to on our end of things is are we willing or not? So here's where I want you to go. Go to 2 Timothy chapter 2 with me. 2 Timothy chapter 2, and then we're going to move forward because I didn't get to finish this last week. 2 Timothy chapter 2, look at verse 20. But in a great house, there are not only vessels of gold and of silver, but also of wood and of earth, and some to honor and some to dishonor. If a man therefore purge himself from these, he shall be a vessel unto honor, sanctified and meet for the master's use and prepared unto every good work. The last portion of verse 21, meet for the master's use and prepared unto every good work, willing. God doesn't care if you look good like gold or silver or if you're like Gideon and you think you're weak and useless, wood and earth. If you're willing, it can be a vessel unto honor. And that's really all it takes is, are we willing to let God use us? And quite honestly, I don't even know if it's a 50-50 spread. More often than not, we're not willing because it pulls us out of our comfort zone. Gideon's about to get pulled out of his comfort zone real fast in, in a nearly extreme way, real rapidly. But jump back to Judges chapter 6, and let's see his response to this. Verse 17, and he said unto him, If I have now found grace in thy sight, then show me a sign that thou talkest with me. This is not necessarily a bad thing here. He's, he's trying to ask for confirmation. There's this random stranger shows up. And by the way, uh, we, we're reading scripture here much later. This was happening in real time to Gideon. Okay? We're reading this and we can see using the capitalization of the letters and the way it's written, he's talking to Jesus. So far, by the way, Gideon's not actually given the indication he recognizes who he's talking to yet. Okay? Look back here at verse number 16 with me. Uh, or verse 15, it says, Oh my Lord. That's a capital L, but the rest of the word is not capitalized. He's giving the man some honor, but he does not know who he is yet. Are we okay? Paying attention here? We, again, we're reading scripture here about 3,000 years later. We recognize, again, the way it's written, the way God phrased this in our perfect word of God. We know who he's talking to, but Gideon doesn't yet. So he needs confirmation that this is coming from God. That's what he's asking for in verse 17. If I have now uh, found grace in thy sight, show me a sign. The Jews asked for a sign. He's got to know confirmation here. Is this exactly what God's calling me to do? We do the same thing. God, you want me to do this? Well, Prove it to me. Okay? When I got saved, I was almost 20 years old. I was sitting in the front row. Our auditorium at that church was split right down the middle. I was sitting on the front row because that's where good preacher's kids are supposed to sit. Now I sit in the back because I like staring at the back of your heads. But I was right up here in the front. I genuinely have no idea what Pastor Jenkins preached on that Sunday night. No clue. And he, he was long-winded back then. This is like 18 years ago. An hour and a half on a Sunday night was a normal church service. That was the sermon, by the way. That's not counting the rest of church. He just long-winded across the board. No idea what the man talked about. I just knew I needed to get saved. I'd gotten saved when I was four, when I was 12, when I was 16. 
And two of those were like a get out of jail free card because I'm an idiot, okay? Um, but I knew, I knew I wasn't saved and I had to get saved. And I just, all right, God, he didn't preach on salvation. I know that much. He did not preach on salvation that night. And I made a deal with God. You gotta show me a sign if this is actually something I'm supposed to do. Have him ask about salvation on a random Sunday night. Not seconds after that thought runs through my head. Some of you are in here tonight and you need to get saved. Crud. And your, my legs turned to cement. Any ever, anybody ever been in that position? Like, I don't think I can move anymore. Well, okay, if he says it again, <laughs> as that stupid thought's running through my head, some of you are fighting God right now and you need to get saved. Will you shut up? All right. Third time's the charm. If he says it again, I'll, I'll go this time, I promise. There's somebody in here that's hanging on right now and you need to get saved. I, and by the way, I, I finally gave in that time. I ran up and grabbed a guy named Rob Parati and I was like, hey, I, I need to get saved. We knelt down at, at his spot up the, on the platform. He opened his Bible and then he just looked at me and said, you know all of this, just make it real this time. And I got saved that night. Hey, we ask God for signs all the time and don't tell me you're any different because I can see the smirks on half your faces like, <laughs> I've done that before. Hey, we're dumb. He, Gideon, doesn't know he's talking to God. He doesn't know yet. He knows something's unique about this person and he needs proof that what's happening here is real. That's a valid human thought right there. Okay, again, I've mentioned this the last couple weeks. I believe my personal opinion is Gideon's the, mo the judge that's probably the most like us because we would have done the exact same thing. If, if some random angel shows up and, hey, I need you to save America from its enemies, Mr. Reamers. <laughs> Are you kidding me? Uh, no, maybe. Okay, can you show me a sign? And all of a sudden, you know, Tim Reamers voted for president. He wasn't even on the ballot, you know? <laughs> That'd be a pretty solid sign. So he asked for a sign. Look at verse 18. It says, depart not hence, I pray thee. This is still Gideon talking. Until I come unto thee and bring forth my present and set it before thee. And he said, I will tarry until thou come again. And Gideon went in and made ready a kid and unleavened cakes of an ephah of flour. By the way, where did he get that flour? He was threshing wheat when all of this happened. So this unleavened cake was pretty fresh, all right? Uh, the flesh he put in a basket and he put the broth in a pot and brought it out unto him under the oak and presented it. This is, by the way, another indication that we know for a fact that this had to have been God speaking to him because any other time that a person in the Bible has met with an angel, if they have tried to present any form of an offering, they've been rejected because an angel cannot be worshiped. They direct all of that to God. This, this angel of God, as we see in verse 20, accepts this offering. Look at verse 20, and the angel of God said unto him, take the flesh and the unleavened cakes and lay them upon this rock and pour out the broth. And he did so. Then the angel of the Lord, again, look at the capitalization of the word Lord, put forth the end of the staff that was in his hand and touched the flesh and the unleavened cakes. And mark this, and there rose up fire out of the rock. That's awesome. And consumed the flesh and the unleavened cakes. Then the angel of the Lord departed out of his sight. This is confirmation that this had to have been God because he accepted an offering and he performs a miracle right in front of him. Because look at this, he didn't use the staff. He, he touched it with his staff, but the staff, that's just part of it. Fire, there rose up fire out of the rock. Guys, rocks don't just like split open and start shooting fire. Lava rock is just a name because it is an igneous rock. It doesn't randomly just spew lava in your grill. 
would be cool, but it doesn't do that. But this rock did. You realize that this is the same God that made water come out of a rock. Now he's making fire come out of a rock. There's only one that can do that, and that's God himself. And then just this departed out of his sight. We have no idea what this departed out of his sight was. Did he just like walk away? And like one of those like, you know, movie scenes where it's this slow thing and Gideon's just standing there like, what just happened? Did he disappear? We don't know. It just departed out of his sight. And Gideon's left standing there. Do you think Gideon's got some level of confirmation who he just talked to at this point? Uh, Yeah. Yeah, he's probably got some of his confirmation here. How, how do I know? Show me a sign. Okay, cool. This rock just lit all your food on fire. And then I go away. And he just leaves him hanging there. By the way, isn't it amazing for us? We don't have to ask God for signs, but he still sometimes gives them to us. You realize that it, I, I'm probably not the only person in this room that has struggled with salvation. I'm probably not the only person in this room that's gotten, if you will, quote unquote, saved multiple times. But we didn't need confirmation because God already gave us a sign of his love. Go to Romans chapter five. Romans chapter five, look at verse eight. Half of you can probably quote this verse, but God commendeth his love toward us and that while we were yet sinners, Christ died for us. That's, doesn't the Bible say that that's, that's the ultimate sign of love is that you'd lay down your life for your friends? He did that for us, yet we still want to question him and barter with him and make deals with him and ask for signs from him. But we wouldn't do that for some stranger, especially a stranger that doesn't have any compatibility with us. You ever think about that? We are so incompatible from God that he had to let his own son die just so we could get on even somewhere near the same level. And we're still not there. Isn't that amazing? We've got our sign. But at the same time, we've got this sign. Gideon asked for one. His was relatively simple. I just need proof that you're calling me to do this. God's given us the ultimate sign of love, but we don't love him back enough to actually be willing to do what he wants us to do half the time. It's kind of a sad thought. Go to verse 22 of Judges chapter 6. Verse 22, and when Gideon perceived that he was an angel of the Lord, Gideon said, alas, Lord God. He recognized who was here after he left. Hindsight is 2020. We've all had that moment where we, we, we've made a decision, whether it's good or bad, and that decision makes, comes true, goes through all the way, and you're, oh, because we question God. Is this what I'm supposed to do? Is this what I'm supposed to do? Is this what I'm supposed to do? And then you're finally like, okay, I'm gonna, I'm gonna follow through with what God's got, and the whole puzzle puts together, and you're like, oh, I see what you did there. Okay, and that's kind of where Gideon's at. Can you imagine this moment? This angel's walked away. This rock is probably still smoldering, burning his food. He's smelling all of that, and he's just like, oh! That's why I love teaching. Hey, there's those moments. Sadly, they're becoming more rare, but there's those moments where that light bulb clicks on, and you're like, the kid finally gets whatever you've talked about. One of the classes that I get to teach, I, I should just hire Mr. Coca to do this, chemistry. I hate teaching chemistry. Besides the fact that I can light things on fire about once a week, I'm just not, I'm not good at it. And we went through one concept about three years ago. I did the same lesson three days in a row and it just wasn't going anywhere. I found a six minute YouTube video and bing, 
light bulbs went off. And I'm like, this is stupid. So we're going to have YouTube chemistry class, I think, this coming year. I don't know, but it, Gideon had his light bulb moment right here. And it was just, okay. You realize now that light bulb moment's a little bigger than ours. He's got to go save Israel. He's got to go fight the largest army that has been assembled in world history to this point. His light bulb moment's terrifying. Our light bulb moment is, oh, that's pretty neat. His is, oh, oh. Look at what he says. Alas, Lord God. Alas is usually not, usually, not used in a super positive, excited, yay. That's a, oh. Ver, let's finish the verse. For because I have seen an angel of the Lord face to face, and the Lord said unto him, peace be unto thee. Fear not, thou shalt not die. This is God kind of reiterating what he'd already told him. Didn't he already tell him? I'll be with you. I'll be with you. And he's kind of reiterating that promise. Then Gideon built an altar there unto the Lord and called it Jehovah Shalom. Unto this day, it is yet in Ophrah of the Abiezrites. And Jehovah Shalom, this is another name for God that we're given, God of peace. God of peace. Which, by the way, is probably one of my personal favorite names of God. Because life has a really interesting ability to destroy your peace in a very, very short amount of time. But there's something comforting about just, he's the God of peace. I was talking to somebody just yesterday. Isn't it amazing? We've got a book that parts of are almost 5,000 years old. And it genuinely does not matter how many times you've read this. There's always something you didn't catch before. How many other books in all of human history are like that? How many of you were forced to read Shakespeare at some point in high school? I actually just bought myself Beowulf again because I wanted to reread it. Beowulf is horrible, especially if you read the old, like the old English version of it. It's, it's horrible. But we reread those, but if you do that, it's the same story. It hasn't changed. You don't get any new information out of it. It's the same characters, the same plot, the same guy dies. But if you reread this, you can get peace, you can get comfort out of places that you didn't get it last time. Right. Why? Because it's the only book God put together. It's the, only God, it's the only book that God wrote. In the beginning was the Word, and the Word was with God, and the Word was God. You realize that Gideon finally realizes through all of this, this is the guy that's so stressed out that he's going to get caught. He's threshing wheat in a wine press. He's so stressed out that he knows I am the bottom of the barrel in my family and my family's poor in a small, insignificant tribe. I am a nothing, I am a nobody. And God's saying, I got you. And Gideon recognized that for the first time. Jehovah Shalom. That's, that's actually massively significant here because it, it gives us the indication and based on the remainder of Gideon's life recorded for us in scripture, Gideon hung on to this very much so because his life was anything but peaceful. Right? His life was insane. What's about to happen to him here is, is going to go from he's this insignificant little dude hiding to enemy number one across the board instantly. He's going to have to hang on to the fact that God's a God of peace. This was a very important moment in Gideon's life. Let's jump right into verse 25. And it came to pass the same night. I've heard the life of Gideon taught since I was a little kid, grew up in church. 
I've never put the fact that Gideon gets done with this offering, the rock lights on fire, burns his offering, he realizes God is a God of peace, and on the exact same night, everything in his life changes. That's significant because the difference between what happens in verse 24 and what happens in verse 25, he's gonna need to remember God as a God of peace very rapidly. How many of you that's happened to you? You're, you're studying your Bible, you're, you're meditating, whatever it may be, and God gives you this nugget that just, it's huge, it's helpful, and you just, you can't get it out of your head. And all of a sudden, it seems like everything falls apart after you got that truth. God was prepping you for what was about to come. He's doing that with Gideon. And from that moment, that God is a God of peace. Gideon doesn't have much peace for the next foreseeable future, okay? And it came to pass the same night that the Lord said unto him, take thy father's young bullock, even the second bullock of seven years old, throw down the altar of Baal that thy father hath and cut down the grove that is by it. Same night. Hey, so remember I told you you're gonna do something mighty? Yeah, uh-huh. Get to start with dad's house. What? Uh-huh. Did you forget? I'm the least in the family. They don't, they don't really care about me. I mean, they love me maybe, but I'm, I'm on the bottom of the barrel. Yeah, you're gonna kind of ruin that right now. It's, it, remember I said enemy number one? He's about two. Young, we're, we got two bulls here. We've got a young bullock and a second bullock of seven years old. So he's got two animals that he's supposed to, uh, we're gonna find out in verse 26, and build an altar unto the Lord thy God upon the top of this rock in the ordered place and take the second bullock and offer a burnt sacrifice with the wood of the grove, which thou shalt cut down. So he's gonna offer two sacrifices. He's also gonna tear down the altar of Baal and usually these altars of Baal were built somewhere in and around, we, we see the term in the Bible quite often, a grove. Most of the time, these were evergreen trees. Um, and they would actually be planted in specific ordered rows. Um, you ever seen the shape of Stonehenge? Similar to that in a, a semicircle, something like that, where it was very out of the ordinary. You knew that was a grove. It wasn't just like, oh, that's a random stand of trees. If you see a random stand of trees... They're, they're haphazard. They just kind of grew there because squirrel dropped a bunch of acorns or whatever it may be. These were in ordered, neat rows, a lot of times in some type of a crescent shape or a semicircle, sometimes a full circle. And then the, the altar would typically be built somewhere in the middle of that. Are we okay? So he's supposed to tear down the altar and cut down the grove. And then he's supposed to use the wood from the cut down grove to start the fire to make the sacrifice unto God. And he's supposed to use the rocks from the altar of Baal to make a new altar to God. He's messing with his family's entire system of worship here. Okay, he, he's, this is, I'm telling you, he, he makes himself enemy number one very, very rapidly. But unlike a lot of the other judges where it's God's, hey, I've called you to do this, like he did with Barak. And within short order, he's going to war Gideon's ticking off his family. It's kind of an odd twist of the story of a judge here from what we've seen so far. Are we okay? But God's using this on purpose because he's got to let the people know you got to stop trusting the false gods. It starts at home. It starts at home. You've got to fix home before he can fix everything. Doesn't the Bible say if my people, which are called by my name, shall humble themselves and pray and seek my face. That means it starts with us before he saves the land. But are we willing to do that? It still always falls back to, are we willing? Are we willing?
Let's finish this here. Verse 26 again. And build an altar unto the Lord thy God upon the top of this rock in the ordered place. Giving us, by the way, again, the indication he's supposed to tear down the altar of Baal, reconstruct it into an altar to God. That would be the ordered place. It's the same concept. Take the second bullock and offer a sacrifice of the wood of the grove, which thou shalt cut down. This right here, this is a lot of work. You realize knocking down an altar, these weren't like, you know, your little campfire. When these altars were done, they could offer an entire bowl on one of these altars on average. Um, those aren't like tiny animals. I have a lot of animals, okay? My largest currently is a Burmese python. He's a little over a year old and he's about six feet long. He's a little longer than my arm reach here. He's about five, six pounds. He's dumb as a box of rocks. He's harmless, but that's about the biggest animal I've got. He'll end up about 12 feet and 60 pounds. He's a big boy. Okay? He doesn't fit in the exact same enclosure that my leopard gecko fits in. That's this big. This isn't like your little, we're going to roast s'mores in the backyard, portable propane campfire. This is a huge altar with massive rocks that he's got to tear apart. Plus, he's got to cut down an entire grove of trees. And God's telling him, oh, yeah, yeah, that's now, tonight. He just got done hiding, threshing wheat, meets an angel, somehow goes home, makes lunch. God burns his lunch. He's like, oh, oh, that was God. Goes home, and some point that same night, he's like, oh, hey, job number one. Now, let's go. There's no indication that Gideon fights this, by the way. He just does it, willing. Verse 27, then Gideon took 10 men of his servants and did as the Lord said unto him, and so it was. So we get the indication this is a multi-human job. There's 11 people working on this job. Anybody here ever cut down a tree? Have you ever cut down more than one tree? All by yourself? In the same day? Mr. Rayola, you are cool. Okay, the rest of us are, are apparently too lazy or just don't have enough trees. Um, so Mr. Rayola could have done this, but you had power tools, I'm guessing? Yeah, he, this guy probably has an axe. And maybe it may be a two-person saw, and he's got a whole thing of these to do at night. At night. Because he feared his father's household. Is that not a us-level response? God says, do this, and he's like, okay, I'm going to do this right away, but we're doing this in the dark. By the way, uh, wouldn't you think that would make the whole job slightly more challenging? When you cut down all those trees, was that something like a midnight raid? It was like, you know, Paul Revere level, you got your lantern, your horse, and you're like, <laughs> no, you probably did that in the middle of the day. Why? Because you don't want a tree to fall on you? These guys are going out in the middle of the night, ripping down one altar, setting up a new one, cutting down an entire grove of trees. And by the way, they have to cut the trees down and then make that usable for a fire. So they're also processing this wood, at least partially, okay, to make a fire out of it. And he does this because he's afraid of his father's household, household and the men of the city let's finish that verse that he could not do it by day that he did it by night again i feel like gideon is probably of all the judges he's the most like us if i'm gonna do this god i don't want anybody to find out i'm okay with doing what you want god but i don't want anybody to find out that i did that now in his case he's tearing down the altar of their god you, you do realize that's almost like death penalty level stuff in the ancient world. That's terrifying. He's got a reason to be slightly afraid. The problem is for him here, um, 
he's not the only person on this job and secrets don't stay secret real long when you have a whole bunch of people involved. Uh, he's got 11 total people counting himself. Something's gonna leak out. Um, Adam Clark, who is a, a, a famous commentary uh, writer from a couple hundred years ago, correct? He had, the, I'm just gonna read a quote here because I found this interesting. I don't know if there's proof of this. It just was an interesting quote. It appears that the second bullock, if you actually look with me back at verse 25, it says, even the second bullock of seven years old. This is referring to that. It appears that the second bullock was offered because it was just seven years old. Meaning that this particular bull would have been born around the time of the Midianite captivity starting. It was, according to Adam Clark, he believed that this particular bull had to be slain. It had to be the right age that God chose here because he's indicating that their time of slavery was about to end. It's a very intriguing thought, right? Um, and, and the Bible's fairly specific on the fact that it had to be seven years old, does it not? So it's, it's a logical thought as well, but I just, I found that to be a little bit intriguing here. Again, Gideon does all of this under the cover of darkness. Look at verse 28. When the men of the city arose early in the morning, this would have been custom. A lot of the times altars, uh, sacrifices, things like that, offerings would have been made to their gods right around sunrise, right? Uh, Baal, again, we've talked about this in the past. Does anybody remember Baal was the god of what? Anybody? No, not the god of fire. Anybody? Oh, I'm a failure as a teacher. Light bulb didn't go off. Weather. He was the god of weather. Well, if he's the god of weather in an agrarian culture, that would have also made him the god of prosperity. You need the god of weather to provide rain, sunshine, so your crops grow. Are we okay? So they would have gone first thing in the morning, made some type of an offering to Baal, then gone out into their fields. They would have done that on a daily basis because they would have thought that he was going to bless what they did in the fields on that particular day. So the men of the city arose early in the morning, Behold, the altar of Baal was cast down and the grove was cut down that was by it. And the second bullock was offered upon the altar that was built. So they show up to make their morning offering to Baal and everything's wrecked. There's a brand new altar built and there's still smoldering bowl. Well, what's their first response? Who did this? And look at verse 29. They said, unto, said one to another, who hath done this thing? Who did this? And when they inquired and asked, they said, Gideon, the son of Joash, hath done this thing. It did not take very long. Who did this? Who did this? Well, how many people were with Gideon total counting him? There's 11 people at this thing. It did not take long for word to get out. Oh, Gideon did this. All right. But here's, here, this is kind of intriguing. Then the men of the city said unto Joash, they went to his dad. Hey, your kid's a problem here. Uh, is Gideon a grown man? Yes, we're given indication, by the way, later on in Scripture, he's what married and got kids. He's a grown man, they go to his dad. Because in this culture, dad was in charge of the whole family as long as he was alive. So they're going, hey, we got a problem here. The men of the city said unto Joash, bring out thy son that he may die. Because he hath cast down the altar of Baal. Because he hath cut down the grove that was by it. They're out for blood. I told you he's going to become enemy number one really, really quickly here. And Joash said unto all that stood against him, will ye plead for Baal? Will ye save him that he will plead for him? He that will plead for him, let him be put to death whilst it is yet morning. 
This is an intriguing question. Are you going to fight on behalf of a God? Why, why can't, and then he ends it. Look, it says, if he be a God, let him plead for himself. If Baal is in fact a God, let him take care of it. Meaning something about Gideon's family. Remember, this is his dad's altar. Isn't that what God told him to do? Cut down the altar, break down the altar, uh, your father's altar. Meaning Joash had some doubts about worshiping Baal. So his question to the men of the city that are out for blood is, if Baal's God, let him prove it. We talk about, you know, um, Elijah and the prophets of Baal as being one of the first times that that's all contested. It's not even close to the first time it's contested. It's Joash and Gideon. They tear it down. He's like, fine, if he's God, let him take care of it. But here's the problem. Is he God? No. He's just a random rock that somebody carved to look like something and nothing can happen because he's not the living God. He's not the one true God. You realize they worshiped a rock that could do nothing for them. The God that spoke to Gideon, our God, made a rock catch on fire. He's got control of everything. That's not coincidental that God used a rock to catch on fire when their God was carved out of a rock. He's proving that he is God. He's stronger than what you worship. Here's the problem. We don't worship rocks today, but we have something that a lot of times we'll place above God because we consider it more important, whether it's sports or work or kids even, and we'll place that above God and he's stronger, more powerful, more worthy than anything else we put above him. But are we willing to make him number one? That's the question. Let's pray. Dear Lord, thank you for this day. Thank you for everything you do for us.